He instantly started to run towards me. In the back of his van were binoculars, a Polaroid camera, and pictures of me. They looked practically mummified, like something had sucked the fluid and blood and organs right out of them. Listener discretion advised. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. From Disturbed Media, I'm your host, Chad, and this is Disturbed. Thanks to HelloFresh for supporting Disturbed. Get delicious, healthy meals delivered right to your door. Go to HelloFresh.com Disturbed12 and use code Disturbed12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. Well, here we are, moving right along into the summer months. And at the top of the show, I'd like to mention that if you have a creepy, scary, or unexplained experience you'd like to share with us, you have several options. First, you can fill out our submission form online at disturbedpodcast.com slash submit. Or you can email your story to mystory@disturbedpodcast.com. And lastly, for those of you that have a story and want your voice heard on the show, there's an option for you as well. Simply leave a message on our hotline at 701-354-3667. Keep in mind we have a three-minute time limit, so if you hit that limit, you'll have to call back. And with all that out of the way, let's get rolling. Our first experience comes to us from an anonymous Reddit user, and we learn to beware of the smiling stranger. Performing this experience is Sarah Thomas. When I was old enough to be home alone, but still at that young age, I lived in a court in a lower-end, middle-class neighborhood at this time. It was a small, developing town, right before the boom of city growth. A place with one grocery store in the middle of town. So, pretty quiet place, where kids would play from sunrise to late in the dark of night with no real worries. To better explain, my court was in a U-shape, with like eight houses in it. Really one way in and one way out. I and my friend lived across the street from each other right before the curve rounding of the U-court. We were both three houses away from the exit of it. It wasn't a crazy busy street by that entrance exit of our court. We could play in the middle of the street for hours and only run into people who lived in our court driving in. That's how dead the area around our court was to the public. No one came around unless to visit our court. No one really had a reason to be driving or walking by our court because there were better ways to the other homes around us off the main busy roads. Going past our court is going out of your way to do so. I should also add, my friend's parents were not friendly and hated people coming to their house, so we only ever met over at my house or played in the court, which is important later. It was Halloween, and I had decided to stay home and trick-or-treat my neighborhood with my friend, 
we'll call her Ashley, who lived across the street. It was late Halloween. The kids had gone home some hours before. The streets were dead silent except for us. My family had left earlier in the night to go to one of the rich neighborhoods where they hand out awesome king-sized chocolate bars. After, they were going to hang out at a friend's house, then be home late or spend the night, wherever the night would take them. I didn't want to hang out with my younger siblings and their younger friends. I wanted to hang out with Ashley, so I asked to stay home alone. My mom agreed with the promise I would go in and lock the house up as soon as Ashley went home. I agreed. It was close to 10 or 11 at night, so our night went great and it was dying down with her waiting for her parents to eventually call her in for bed. Ashley was chilling with me as we sat on the curb in front of my house talking, which being in that preteen stage was a common occurrence. Then we noticed this middle-aged man walk past the end of our court, looking around as he passed, and he paused when he noticed us. The man slowed down and stared at us for a bit as he walked. No big deal, but something was off. I can still remember what he looked like because I remember how odd seeing him was. Because we grew up in a small town where everyone knew everyone, and I didn't recognize this man. He was an average white man with a beer belly. It was dark, but I could make him out under the streetlights as he casually passed our court. He wasn't a local. Ashley asked if I knew him, and I shook my head no before we went back to talking. Something about him made her start to keep an eye on the court entrance. He's walking by again. Ashley would repeat when she noticed him walk by again and again and again. That guy wasn't dressed for a long walk or a jog. Wearing a tan jacket, dark blue jeans, and what looked like heavy work boots. I don't imagine planning on going on a long walk wearing that kind of outfit. But we were dumb kids and we ignored those red flags until the fifth time that he walked by. Then we got a little freaked out. Hey, that guy passed again. Ashley frowned as I turned my back to the entrance of the court as I was talking to her. He wasn't walking anymore. He was casually standing under the streetlight at the entrance of our court on the same side we were on. He was staring. I remember how awkward he seemed shoving his hands into his pockets, trying to act casual, except for the fact that he just kept staring at me. We got creeped out as he kept looking around at the empty street quickly, then back at me, before he went back to walking past our court. Something inside me told me to leave. Again, he didn't look creepy. He looked like a typical white suburban dad. It was his eyes. They were just staring at me. I'm creeped out. Let's go inside before he comes back. I remember Ashley saying before we got up. We tried our best to ignore our fear since he was gone again. I walked her across the street to her home. To add, I was the friend that was like the mom. I always made sure they got home okay before myself. Yes, you most likely see where this is going. I walked her to her house across the street before I headed home myself. Everything was fine. I quickly ran across the street to my house. Happy to get to freedom, I turned the knob of my front door, 
quickly trying to get into the safety of my home. When I felt the knob refuse to turn, I remember holding my breath as I struggled to get the door open. That's when it dawned on me. I didn't have a house key. The door was never locked unless we were inside sleeping. This was before cell phones. My family had accidentally locked me out with no way to get a hold of them. I panicked. I was locked outside with the creepy man walking around. I was scared. I moved away from my front door and I remembered trying to calm myself as I decided to go through the backyard and try our sliding glass doors, which again, shouldn't be locked. I walked down the path away from my front door to walk around the front of the house to the side gate. That was my plan. I remember stopping with fear. I remember my air being knocked out of me. I noticed the man was stopped in front of the end of our street once again. There was no way he did a full lap around our court to end up back there. He must have just pretended to keep walking. His eyes lit up as he smiled at me when he noticed I was still out, raising his hand up in a casual, hi, before he started to walk towards me. His steps towards me were casual steps, like he was just taking a walk, but he was still staring at me. I panicked at his movements towards me and bolted across the street to Ashley's house, abandoning all attempts to break into my house. I remember thinking that Ashley's house is the only one with signs of life, and I needed an adult right then. I remember running as fast as I could, getting up the stone step walkway to the door. I pounded on the door in panic, pushing the doorbell repeatedly. Ashley opened the door and looked confused by the panicked look on my face. I'm locked out and he's coming! I remember screaming, trying to push my way towards her, scared shitless. I... I have to ask my mom. Those words broke me as she quickly closed the door, most likely not realizing the fate she was leaving me to. I remember crying as the door slammed in my face. In a panic, I turned around trying to see where the man was, how close he had gotten with my back turned. He had resumed walking the court when I assumed the door was open. Now, only a house and a half length away from me, the second I looked at him after Ashley's door had closed, he stopped his casual walking of the sidewalk. He instantly started to run towards me. A diagonal, through the street, beeline towards me, quickly. I remember half turning to push the doorbell repeatedly in what felt like a decade of fear. Till Ashley's door opened, her hand grabbing my arm and yanking me inside the door. She slammed the door quickly and flicked the lock. I was in tears as she gripped my arm. I remember how desperately we moved to the side windows quickly to see him. I remember how mad he looked at me as he stood inches from where I once was. He gave me a dirty look, his chest heaving as he slowly stepped off of my friend's porch, down the walkway. He shoved his hand into his pockets as he turned to face away from us and continued walking out of our court. I don't remember much after that. I remember breaking down crying as Ashley's mom came to my aid, realizing this was serious. I remember the cops being called and giving my statement. I also remember I stayed with Ashley until my parents got home shortly after the cops left. Ashley's dad walked me home and explained everything. I remember my mom hugging me in a panic and kissing me, 
and apologizing that my younger eight-year-old brother must have locked the door when they left because he was paranoid of bad guys. I don't remember being home alone after that till we moved years later into a new town. I still to this day can't figure out his intentions. Kidnapping? Worse? To this day, I still can't find a reason that sits well with me. I still to this day get paranoid at night, especially of smiling strangers. If you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, get additional bonus episodes and your own shout out, visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support to learn more. Next up, we hear from Reddit user GenLegend3, and we learn about the man that had plans for her. Performing this experience is Rhiannon Mauschel. So, yesterday, I was at my sister's house with my mom watching my son and nephews play in the yard. One of my nephews, Harrison, was picking bark off a tree when I remembered an odd encounter I'd had as a kid. I said so weird out loud thinking about the encounter. My mom inquired what I was talking about, so I told her. When I was a kid, I was hanging out at the Pinecone Forest, which was what the neighborhood kids called a small patch of trees on the side of the road. I was picking bark off one of the trees to pass some time waiting for my friend Frankie to finish his homework and come out to play. Out of nowhere, it seemed, a guy came up to me. I could smell him before I saw him. He smelt like stale cigarette smoke. I was kind of scared when I looked at him. He wasn't very old, but he had a very lazy eye that was cloudy, and his teeth and fingernails were stained yellow. My mom had taught me to be nice to people even if they didn't look like me, so I faked a smile and said, hello. What are you doing? He asked me. The smell of his breath was the worst. I'm picking the bark off this tree. You shouldn't do that. It's like picking off the tree's skin. How would you feel if someone picked off your skin? He said while lightly pinching my arm with his sharp yellow nails. I I don't know, I replied and took my arm back. Just then, Frankie's mom called for me out the door and told me to come and wait inside. I didn't think anything of the whole thing at the time. When I told my mom about it, she had this look of, I don't know, guilt maybe? She said that it's probably time that I know the whole story. She thought I forgot about the whole encounter, so she never brought it up to me. First, you should know that the neighborhood I grew up in was a small, tight-knit community. Everyone knew everyone, and there was no reason for an outsider to come unless they knew someone there. Anyway, here's what happened with this guy. Frankie's mom, Sonia, noticed a white van with no windows parked on the side of the road. How cliche, right? She didn't recognize it, but figured it was a visitor for a neighbor. Sonia said, or rather told the police, that the van had been there all morning and afternoon. She was kind of keeping an eye on it. She said she just had a bad feeling. 
Her house had a huge window in front facing the pinecone forest, and the van was parked next to it. She saw me waiting for Frankie and kept a constant eye on the van while holding the phone just in case. She saw the man exit the back of the van and walk up to me. As soon as she saw him grab my arm and pinch me, she called the cops. That was when she called me into her house. The cops stopped the guy just outside of my neighborhood. In the back of his van were binoculars, a Polaroid camera, and pictures of me, taped all over the walls and ceiling. Me at school, at my grandparents' house, at the bank with my mom. Just me, everywhere I went. But that's not all. He had a key to a storage unit on him. Inside the unit, they found a cabinet full of knives. A lot of knives. Paring knives, a butcher cleaver, a thin fillet knife, a melon baller, and just various knives of all shapes and sizes. There were also a few anatomy books, obstetrical equipment, duct tape, and ten empty five-gallon buckets. In the middle of the unit was an old bed that was used to restrain mental patients, so it had wrist and ankle wraps. And the entire inside of the unit was covered in plastic wrap. My mom said he was in a high-security mental institution for the criminally insane last she heard. So... That's pretty creepy to me, and I figured I'd share. Something you guys may or may not know about me is how much I value convenience. And something I've discovered recently is that it doesn't get much easier or more convenient than HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh offers over 27 recipes with a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients, so you can try something new every single week. And when I say easy and convenient, I mean exactly that. You'll get contact-free delivery right to your doorstep, and one thing I personally learned is that it arrives real fast. Not only that, but HelloFresh gives you flexibility with customizable orders every week. You can add extra protein and sides, if you're planning on guests, you can change up the serving size, or you can just double up on your favorite recipes so you can make your box exactly what you want. Now, I'll be honest, personally, I don't do a ton of cooking. So take it from me when I tell you that my experience with HelloFresh has been absolutely fantastic. When my box arrived, we decided on the balsamic tomato and herb chicken. First off, everything came packaged really well. The ingredients you could tell were high quality and actually really fresh. The directions were super simple, even for someone like me who does minimal cooking. Everything we needed to make the meal was right there, included and ready to go. The actual cooking process was really simple and I honestly think anyone can do it. About 30 minutes later, my girlfriend and I were tasting and absolutely loving our meals. And after my experience, I'd recommend HelloFresh to anyone and everyone. And right now, listeners of Disturbed have access to a special offer. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Disturbed12 and use code Disturbed12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Don't waste time reading through online recipes and making trips to the grocery store just to track down ingredients. Do what I did and make the switch to HelloFresh. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash Disturbed12 and use code Disturbed12 to get 12 free meals along with free shipping. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, 
Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer. And I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen Podcast, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Now back to the show. Up next, we hear from Reddit user MelancholyHill254, and we take a trip to the spirit world. Performing this experience is Mariana Bradford. Okay, so this is for background. I was born in a small town in Tennessee. We lived there for two years before moving to Florida. After some time, we moved back to that small town. When I was nine years old, we moved into this apartment complex. It wasn't very expensive, and it was on the lower-income side of town. We moved into B8, and almost immediately, I got a bad feeling. For context, here's how the apartment looked. You would walk into the apartment and see the living room. To the left of the living room was the kitchen. In front of the living room was a hallway that would lead to two bathrooms and three bedrooms. The bathrooms were positioned on either side of the hallway, There were two rooms on one side of the hallways and one on the other. My mother, being the spiritual woman that she was, burned sage around the home with the open windows and put jars of salt in all the windows. For a period of time, this was fine, and my bad feeling went away. It was about two months after we moved in that I began having vivid nightmares. I saw the house burning, people watching me while I slept, extreme sleep paralysis that I haven't had since being in that house. I began seeing a little girl, not much younger than me, in period clothing, standing in the corner of my room. Every night I saw her and I had these terrible night terrors. It got to the point that I was trying to stay up for as long as possible, or going to my mom and staying up with her until she inevitably sent me back to my room. While I saw this little girl, I was also seeing this large black mass in our hallway and kitchen. My mother saw the same black mass too, but she didn't get a bad feeling from it. However, I always did. Eventually, I was tired of seeing this little girl, so I tried talking to her. I asked her why she was here, why she was tormenting me, and if she could just leave me alone. She never said anything, just kept on staring. I asked my mother what I should do, and she told me to just tell her to leave. 
So I tried that. Every time I saw this little girl, I told her that she needed to leave and that this was my room now. After a few weeks of this, she finally left me alone and I was able to get some sleep. But then we were still dealing with the black mass. It gave me weird vibes, but it never tried to harm us. Occasionally, I would have dreams that I was running away from it. But that was child's play compared to the night terrors I'd been having. There would be some times when I was just hanging out in my room and I would hear something walking down the hallways. I would think it was my brother or uncle walking to the bathroom, but whenever I would look up to see them, I would either see nothing but a normal hallway or I would see the head of the black mass peering around the corner at me and then dart away. It made me uncomfortable, but that's just what we dealt with for a couple of years. At 12 years old, we moved out of those apartments and moved to some different ones. I felt a weird presence, but never saw or heard anything. When I turned 13, we moved back to the old apartments. This time, we were at D15. This was closer to the road and far enough away from B8 that I thought things would be fine. But once again, we saw this shadow in our hallway. I knew it was the same one because the footsteps sounded the same, and it always did the same creepy head tilt when it looked at you. I got curious as to why this thing had followed us from one apartment to another. So I began looking at what the apartments were beforehand, and also the warehouse that was across the street, thinking there might be something there. I found out that the warehouse had been a hospital for a period of time back in the 1960s and 70s, and the apartments were sleeping quarters for the workers. After a bit of time, it shut down and got sold from one owner up to the next. It eventually got turned into apartments. To this day, I'm unsure, but I think that the Black Mass was some kind of a doctor who worked at the hospital. In 2016, my mother passed and we didn't want to stay in the apartment anymore, so we moved to Florida. We lived there for three years and not much happened, paranormal-wise. I turned 18 and decided to move back to the small town to do some personal growth, and as soon as I got back, I felt its presence. My sister and I moved in an apartment complex that was about three blocks away from the old one, and immediately after moving in, I got the same feeling as I did from both B8 and D15. This time, it stayed in the kitchen, for the most part. There was also the spirit of a little blonde-haired boy who stayed on the stairs. My niece and nephew would play with him. I would see him from our TV screen. Sometimes I would be sitting in the living room, which was my bedroom at the time, and I would look up to see him peering from behind the banister. Sometimes we would hear footsteps pounding up and down the stairs, even if we were the only ones in the apartment and our next-door neighbors were out. Our next-door neighbor even asked if we had seen or heard anything weird, and when I told her, she just shrugged and said, that's exactly what the old neighbor said. She was always knocking on the door, asking if we heard anything. They never had any problems, but most of everyone who lived in our apartment saw something. Back to the black mass. So my sister and I had a falling out and the apartment became mine and my fiance's. The first night it became ours, Jay was out at work and I was home alone. I was playing video games and was really into it, but I had remembered that I needed to replace my gauges so that my ears didn't close up. I got up and went to where I had them and as I turned around to go back to the TV, I saw the same black mass walk out in front of the doorway. 
It saw that I saw it and ducked behind the wall, and then it peeked its head at me like it had done before. Frankly, I was terrified. So I called a couple of friends and they came over and stayed with me until Jay got home. Eventually, we had to move and we moved back to Florida. It's been seven months, but we haven't seen or heard anything regarding that black mass. I hope that it stays in that small town and away from us. And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Freebird9804. And we discover the creature that wants to come inside. Performing this experience is Tanya Eby. For some background, I live in the California foothills. My parents and I moved into this house from the city in late 2017 after it had been sitting empty for over a year. The day we moved in, my mother and I arrived first to clean while my father and brother drove the moving truck. Right off the bat, I was uneasy, but tried to write it off. The property felt heavy, is the only way I can describe it. Some people on here describe the feeling of being watched inside their homes, but I had that feeling any time I stepped outside. We were going to sweep and mop the floors, dust the baseboards and windowsills. When I started noticing this white granular powder all along the baseboards and the windowsills and the doorways. I immediately told my mother, who told me not to worry about it and sweep it up. By the time I had swept up every room and cleaned off the windowsills, I was certain it was salt. And a lot of it. But fine, whatever. The people that lived here before were superstitious. Okay, I can live with that. We unpacked the truck over the next week. I was setting up my room when the next bizarre events started happening, knocking on the windows, always quick raps that sounded like someone knocking with their knuckles. It would happen so often on all the windows in the house, but when you would turn, no one would be there. You'd go outside, no one would be around the house. This only escalated. My brother and I would walk the dogs around the property. They were older, small dogs who were always good-natured and calm, except for when they were outside at this new house. They would growl, puff out, and get extremely agitated. They hated being outside. Then we started finding the animal carcasses. They were always small creatures, rats, toads, bats. The biggest we ever found was a raccoon. The animals had been gutted. A single deliberate line down their torso, starting at their chest and ending near their rear. No internal organs left. They looked practically mummified like something had sucked the fluid and blood and organs right out of them. It was one of the most bizarre and brutal things I had ever seen. My brother would stay up late in his room on his computer every night. He liked to game with his friends until the early morning hours. He does not spook easy, but on more than one occasion, I would wake up to him shaking me awake, terrified saying something massive on two legs was walking around outside his bedroom window, which he would have open at night. He said it would walk right up to his bedroom window and stop. And when he would look toward the sound, he could hear it scrambling away. I never saw it with my own eyes and neither did he, but the motion lights outside would be activated every single time, leading to the woods near the back of our property. I know what you're probably thinking. All of this up to this point can be explained away rationally. A crazy person living in the woods, 
some neighbor messing with us for whatever reason. Well, that was what I told myself too so I could sleep a little easier at night. Then the banging started. It was so loud, and it would sound like it was coming from everywhere at once. The walls would literally vibrate, picture frames rattling right off the walls. It was like something massive, stronger than any crazy person, was pounding on the exterior walls of the house, always late at night, and always in more places than just one. I could never pinpoint the source directly. My brother and I would stumble out of our bedrooms, petrified, and my mom would lead us to her room where we would stay after that. My dad would walk the perimeter of our property with his gun, but never found anything. No footprints, no people, nothing. This happened for probably six months. And every time a major event would happen, my dad would walk the perimeters with his rifle and come back with nothing. We felt like we were going insane. Then suddenly, it just stopped. The mutilated animals stopped appearing. I stopped feeling like I was being watched anytime I would go outside. My dogs stopped being so on edge anytime I took them out. And the property itself seemed to get lighter, like it finally took a deep breath after holding it for so long. I genuinely have no explanation or even a clue as to what that creature, being, entity, even was. I'm just glad it seems to have moved on. Thanks to everyone for continuing to send in your stories, whether it's via email at mystory@disturbedpodcast.com or the hotline at 701-354-3667. And remember, no story is too big or too small, so keep them coming. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and listener support. Thanks to those who share the show with friends and leave positive reviews. These things help new listeners find us. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, you can get early access to our premium ad-free feed, as well as monthly bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And a shout out to all of our newest supporters. Squeaks and Scales. Fran, no last name. Tiffy Rocks. Jeremy Pedigo. Javette Clark. Giselle Carbajal. Cassandra DeLuise and Lorinda Coger. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at Whitebat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. 